Good morning. morning. I want to do something a little different. Um, Earlier, after first service, there was a lady who asked me, how do you hear the voice of God? And it's just kind of been sticking with me ever since that conversation. And I know in a room like this, there's some of you that hear God's voice really clearly, but there's also some of you that have that same question. And you hear God's voice first and foremost by listening. And so can I ask you all just to close your eyes for a minute? Because the presence of God is here, like Pastor Guy said, he wants to speak to you. He loves you. And he has something very specific that he wants to say to you today. We live in a very busy world. And we're always trying to fill our space. So I want to take just a moment and be still. Uncomfortably, awkwardly still. So that you can hear him. Father, I pray that you settle our hearts and you settle our minds and you help us to shut out every distraction, Lord God, so that we can hear your voice. There's nothing more precious. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more life-changing than your voice. And so this morning, I pray that as I speak, that each and every person would hear you, that anything that's not for them, Lord God, that it would be forgotten, um, but that they would hear exactly what they need to hear for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I just want to encourage you, do that often. Do that often. I know for me, with six kids and a lot of things on my mind, I can very easily go through a week or a month and actually never really be still. But God speaks in a still small voice, and he speaks to our heart most often. And if we'll just take the time to listen, so many of the decisions that are before us, so many of the challenges that we face and the things that we have to overcome will come so much easier if we just get wisdom from above. So we are in a series called Living with Power. And last week, Pastor Matt, he spoke on living with purpose, and he said that what am I here for is one of the most, if not the most asked questions throughout all of history. So how many of you have asked that question? What's my purpose? What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? No one? Two people. Awesome. Uh, Wrong statistics, I guess. Anyway, that desire that God put in our heart to know what we're here for was on purpose. Because only the creator can tell the creation what its purpose is. And so by us seeking and desiring to know our purpose, it draws us to the creator. And when we're drawn to the creator, we get that question answered, but we get so much more. We find the answer to everything. We find the one who all of eternity, all of creation is trying to find. We find God himself. And so this week is week two. 
And as I've been preparing for this message, there's been a question that keeps reoccurring through a book that I'm reading and through other places. And that question is, when the world sees me, what does it see? When I worship, when I praise, when I am in church, when I'm out of church, when I live my life, what does the world see when it sees me? Does it see Jesus or does it see other things? We should have evidence flowing out of our life all the time of who Jesus is, that God exists. And the Bible says that our weapons of this world, that they are mighty for pulling down strongholds. They are supernatural weapons. They're not ones of this world. And they will pull down strongholds of fear, despair, shame, whatever it is. But they don't look like what the world says that they look like. And if we live from a place of power, from a place of authority, then strongholds will be pulled down. And one of those weapons that we have is our testimony. So today I want to talk to you about the power of testimony. So Webster's definition of testimony, because it's kind of an old word, if you've been in church for a long time, it's a word that maybe you've heard a long time, but you're like, what exactly is that? It's evidence in support of a fact or statement. It is proof. So if you go to court, which hopefully you don't have to go, and they need to prove you did something, oftentimes they'll call a witness. And that witness is offering proof that you did or did not do whatever it is that you're being accused of. And so the entire Bible is the testimony that God exists of his love for us that he displayed through Jesus, his son. It's stories of people like you and me who God moved in their life, did something miraculous, And because we read it, we are encouraged by those stories. You also have a personal testimony. So what has God done for you? What evidence do you have that proves that God exists, that he's faithful, and that he's good? Can you testify about his love for you? We were talking about all of this in a meeting, and it was brought up that there are people that don't feel like they have a testimony. And if that is you, maybe, then I just will say this. If you're breathing which I really hope you are, you have a testimony. So think about this for a second. The chance that you were born from two parents rather than any other person is somewhere between 1 in 400 trillion to 1 in 400 quadrillion percent. Um, I don't know what those numbers mean, but if you factor in just four generations, so your great-grandparents being born and then your grandparents being born and then your parents being born to you, the probability of you being born is 10 followed by 2,640,000 zeros. I have no idea what that means either. So I, I looked it up to give it to put it in perspective that I would understand. It's the probability of 2.5 million people getting together, which is about the population of San Diego, each to play a game of dice. The dice are a trillion-sided dice, if you can imagine that. And in a single roll, they roll the exact same number. For example, 550,343,279,001. That's the number on the dice. Impossible. That's the probability of you being born. And as I thought about this, God could have designed reproduction any way he wanted to. We could have actually been flown in by storks from heaven. God could have done that. But instead, he chose to have your likelihood of being born to be so miraculous, so unlikely, 
that it had to be him that chose you. If you're a child of God, then the fact that you, a sinner, have been washed clean and are going to heaven is proof that God exists. Because if you're like me, and in this you are, there is no way you could have done that on your own. You have a testimony. That is proof. When we share that testimony, we're giving evidence of who God is and what he's done for us. So actually, our testimony isn't really ours. It's really God's story. We just get to play a part. Isn't that awesome? To be able to play an impactful part in God's story. It's something that we should always want to share. So before we move on, let's pray one more time. Dear Father God, I pray that you would come in like a refreshing wind, like Pastor Matt talked about. That you would just wash away the things that are not of you on our hearts. Any, any lies, any deception, any fear, whatever it is, Lord God, that you would help us to see um, where you've moved in our life, that you would help us to see how you want to use that story, that you will give, a, give us a boldness, Lord God, to rise up and share that story. We pray that you would move in this place and that you would speak. Lord God, we want to hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give you three points today. Statistically, that's about all most people can handle. Um, as I was thinking about that, I think of my own self, and oftentimes uh, I really want to take a drink of coffee, but I have to go to the bathroom. And so I have to figure out where Pastor Matt is in the message. If he's in point three, uh, then I need to hold off, for sure. If he's in closing, it's a bit risky. Um, <laughs> But I will dare it sometimes, and occasionally I regret that decision when it goes a little long. Um, so three points today, no long clothes. All good? Drink your coffee. I, I will say that we must have declined in our ability to retain um, points and, and to focus because Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was way over three points. And I learned earlier today, it was great information, I want to try this sometime, that Jesus actually sat and everybody else stood. We should try that. Today would have been a great day um, to try that, but I, I won't do that to you today. Um, but Jesus talked about all of these random points, seemingly, in the Sermon of the Mount, but people stood there, even though they were hungry, even though their feet must have hurt, um, and they listened to it. But then again, that's Jesus, right? So anyway, point number one is that our testimony builds faith for trials. And us human beings, we're kind of funny by nature. We can live through something very impactful that seems so huge in the moment. And then once we're past it and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, we forget about it. For example, how many parents are in the room? Lots of parents. Okay. Do you remember the day that that firstborn child was born? Oh, I see the look on your faces. Yeah, that's how I felt too. Oh my gosh, she's so beautiful and she's perfect and I'm going to do whatever I can to make her happy uh, for her whole life. I'm going to be the best parent. Um, and then about one and a half, two years old hit. Um, and then, you know, she was throwing temper tantrums and playing in the toilet and getting into everything, even though I put it away like over and over 500 times a day, and suddenly that day that she was born and all those promises, long gone. Yeah. So I will fess up and tell you a story that when she was, you know, before that age, about one and below, I kind of looked around and thought, like, I must be just a fantastic natural parent. She's perfect. She has nothing wrong. She's always joyful. She's happy. And then about one and a half years old, I remember, because we went on a cruise, she was perfect. We came home, not. Aliens came in on that cruise. 
they did something. They did something. Um, and so parents of teenagers. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, when they're frustrating you or challenging you or whatever, uh, do you remember the day they were born? No, that day is so far gone. That, in that moment, you're like, if I would have known this day would have happened, that day might have been different. Um, but the Israelites in the desert, they did this all the time. God parted the Red Sea in front of them. Can you imagine? The Red Sea, walls of water, two million people or so crossed over. It stayed up, dry ground. Then as soon as the Egyptians came, crushed their enemies, gone. Two months later, grumbling and complaining because they were low on food and they wanted to go back to Egypt. The same story happened over and over again. They complained about not having water. They complained Moses was gone too long. They complained that now the manna that miraculously rains down from heaven every single day, perfect for them, suddenly was no longer good enough, and they complained they didn't have meat. Does that sound familiar? We're kind of a little like that. God's response to them was often the same. Don't you remember? Don't you remember when I parted the Red Sea? Don't you remember when water miraculously came from a rock? Don't you remember when you were healed by looking at a copper snake? Don't you remember? God had his people set up altars to remember what the Lord did. He established feasts for them to remember what the Lord did. He calls us to take communion so that we will remember what Jesus did on the cross. And it's not just all spiritual things. We celebrate Memorial Day so that we will remember those who gave their life for the freedom that we now have. And Veterans Day for those that served and risked their life for the freedom that we now have. Why? Because we forget. Not entirely, but it's in the back of our mind as we go through our daily lives. And we don't recall it when challenges come, when situations get tough, when things aren't going our way. Testimonies are powerful faith boosters. When you recall what God did for you in the past and how he did it, your faith will be enhanced. Past testimonies, when brought to the present situation, belittles the present challenges. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So this is how it works. God gives us a measure of faith, and we're called to act on that. And when we do, God moves, because God moves in response to our faith. And then we see him move, and our testimony grows, which will encourage our faith and build our faith for the things ahead. And this is what the elders were doing to obtain a good testimony. As we take those steps of faith, we see God move powerfully in our life. Faith precedes testimony, and then testimony builds more faith. When I was growing up, uh, we didn't have a lot of money, and so for whatever reason in me, it developed like a fear of poverty or something. I was really afraid that I wouldn't have enough, and so when I was able to start making money, I started saving money. Um, And my definition of a need is if you couldn't rig it, tape it, whatever, if it couldn't be reused into something else, then at that point only it's the need. Otherwise, it's a want and we are not going to have it. 
um, which was all fine when it was just me. Um, But then I married Matt, totally not in the same place. It was definitely a spot of contention for us. When his truck kept breaking down over and over and I told him, just go rig it some more, it hasn't exploded, you're fine, it kind of caused a little bit of tension in our marriage. Um, But it, it challenged me. The pressure of him being in a different place actually challenged me to kind of seek God for it. And in my beginning, I sought God to change him because, of course, I was right. Um, But really what I learned is that God was trying to set me free from that space. He was trying to build my faith. So I got a hold of tithing, like Pastor Guy was talking about, and I begin to step out, or we begin to step out in tithing. And I begin to see God move and take care of things. And then this crazy man that I was getting ready to marry, we weren't married yet, said, I think we should start giving 15%. I'm sure you can imagine the initial part of that conversation. I said, you're crazy. I said, that is not what God asked. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that. We do not need to give 15%. But somehow he talked me into it. And what we saw God do, because Matt owned a financial services business at the time, and all of a sudden this 22-year-old boy some crazy person decided to invest a whole lot of money with him. And the income that we got from that money paid for our wedding entirely because we were struggling to figure out how we would pay for it. Now, if that's not God, because think about it. If you had a whole lot of money, would you invest with Matt at 22 years old? Probably not. Probably not. But it did a work in me to build my faith. Because now we're in a place where there's been so many times where challenges have come to our finances, and I'm like, I know God's got it. I know he's got it because I tithe, and I'm in covenant with him. I know he's got it because he loves me, and I know he's got it because he's done it in the past over and over and over. So I have faith for this, and I won't be discouraged. Our testimony builds our faith. Is there an area that you're worrying about, that you're doubting, that you're stressing over? Where do you need to remember what God has done for you in the past? Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in provision of a job. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's in restoration in a family relationship. Where can you look back and see, look, God was faithful then, and he'll be faithful now. I do want to also ask you to remember that the Israelites, when they complained, Like they saw God move and they saw God move and God was so kind in reminding them and moving and moving again. But there became a point where he said, okay, you're not going to enter the promised land. Because when we complain after God has proven himself to us over and over and over again, we're really calling God a liar. And that's, that's a big deal. We don't call God a liar. And so I just want to caution you when there's that temptation to doubt and complain, Because we all have it. I I have temptation still to doubt and complain. Something comes at me. My foot breaks because I'm walking up a step. Really? Like, why did that happen? Temptation to doubt. Doubt maybe God's goodness. Doubt maybe his provision. But I remember, oh no, all those times in the past that he was there for me. He's going to be there for me now. God responds to our faith. Point number two is our testimony helps us to overcome. Revelations 12, 10 through 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God 
and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God, day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. It's pretty powerful that it said that they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Not because they had all the answers, not because they were so strong, not because they were such wise men, but by the word of their testimony. The Bible is clear that we have an enemy, that he is real, that he is not figurative. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He does nothing else. He can do nothing else. He will always steal, kill, and destroy. And we should be on the offense against him and his forces. And our testimony, it helps us to overcome him, his tactics for us and for the people around us. Romans 10, 17 so, says, Then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is certainly scripture. It's the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. What is the good news of Jesus in your life? What has he done for you? The Bible tells us that the good news of Jesus is that he came to heal the sick, both physically and spiritually, to seek and save the lost, to bring life, and to set captives free. Has he done any of that for you? That's the good news. That right there is powerful. That right there overcomes the enemy. When we share how Jesus did those things in our life, we give proof that there's a supernatural power, that there's a supernatural anointing that comes on our word. Jesus or God will always anoint the gospel. He will always empower people who are going to highlight his son with that good news. So think of it this way. You can talk to someone about a lot of things, but the moment you decide to share the good news of Jesus, there's a supernatural anointing that comes on your word. There's a power that comes out of you that's going to make a difference because it's highlighting Jesus. There's a, a lady who shared with me a story about how when, before she came to the church, she didn't feel like God heard her prayer, like they didn't matter. They were kind of like, she said, throwing pennies into a wishing well, as the song says. And so she didn't often pray because she felt like there was no point to pray. But she said here recently, she was wanting to buy s'more sticks, s'more sticks. And she went to buy them and they were sold out and she was really discouraged because she felt like she was supposed to buy these s'more sticks. And then all of a sudden she looked somewhere and they were um, available somewhere else and she could get them within like an hour. And so she was so excited that God must have heard her, must have heard her prayer on something so small that it inspired her to go and seek the scriptures to put on that. Because she said, normally I would have asked you, you're the pastor. But instead God heard me. So I felt like he would hear me again and give me the right scriptures to put on these s'more sticks. I don't know if that encourages you, but it encourages me. Like if God's going to care about s'more sticks for someone to show that her little things in her life matter to him, then he's going to care about the little things in my life too. Because if God loves you, he loves you and cares about the big things and the small things. Just like as parents, I care about the big major things my kids are going through, but I care about the small things too because I care about them. 
when I first shared my testimony publicly, um, it was really for the first time. I kind of told a few people about it, um, but there was a lot of shame that I carried, a lot of guilt um, from my past. And even though God had set me free from all of those things to let people know, like I trusted God loved me and forgive me, but the enemy caused me to believe that if people knew, then they wouldn't like me. And so eventually the pain of hiding it as I continued to develop relationships became more uncomfortable than just letting everybody know. So I finally got to this place. I'm going to tell everybody who likes me, likes me, who doesn't, doesn't. Oh, well. So I stood on a stage and I shared my testimony. Just to let you know, no one said they didn't like me. So they either hit it really, really well or people understand because they've been there too. But a powerful thing happened to me the day that I did that. God gave me a picture and it was my past and where I am now tethered by a bunch of strings or ropes or something. And so many of them had been severed. And that was me being set free from addiction, set free from depression, you know, all these other things. God had helped me overcome. He had set me free. But there was this one large string. And as he came, I saw scissors cut that and set me free. And I knew what he was saying is the shame of your past, that attachment to your past has finally been broken, and now you are free from who you once were. And I can stand here and tell you today that no longer do those things cause me any kind of pain or shame or guilt. I don't feel like that was me anymore. Sometimes I sit and I think like, man, did I really do those things? Or was I really in that place? Because it feels so not me because of what God did in my life. Me sharing my testimony helped me overcome the shame and the guilt and the things the enemy wanted to do to hold me to that. Is there a part of your story that God has set you free from, but you're still afraid to share? That you're afraid to admit to someone if God opened a door for you? I don't believe, I'm not trying to suggest that everybody needs to get on a public platform and share their story or to tell everybody everything about you. But what I will say is I think every part of your story has the power to impact someone else. So I think at some point in your life, God will call you to share every part of your story to someone. And if you let him lead you, it'll make a major difference in their life. The Bible tells us that he works all things out for good for those that love us. And that's one way that he's working things out for good. He's taking what the enemy meant for harm in your life, and he's using it for good to make a difference in the lives of others. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That scripture it really challenges me. Am I ashamed to share my testimony? Am I ashamed to let God use my story to set someone else free? Am I more focused on how they may look at me than maybe the effect it'll have in their life? God wants you to fully overcome the things in your life that the enemy once held you in bondage over. What is brought to the light does lose power over you. And point number three is our, sharing our testimony helps others find truth. Um, there was, and she's here today, um, uh, when I broke my foot, I had to have surgery potentially, and I needed to go to an orthopedic surgeon to let me know 
if I was going to have to have it or not. And since I'm from Missouri and all my family are from Missouri and I don't really know anyone who's broke anything and I actually know of a really horrible story that someone went through when she broke someone, there was a lot of fear that I was going to find the wrong doctor and he was going to mess me up. So I vowed to Matt, I don't care how much it costs, I'm going to get five at least opinions. Five. Because if I'm going to go to someone I don't know, they need to all five sync up um, and match before I'm going to let anyone cut on my foot because I'm really a big baby. Um, but thankfully God brought Jenny Mellican and at the right time as I was telling everybody this story and she's like, well, who's your doctor? And so I told her, like we went through this process, oh, it's, it's in O'Fallon. Yeah, we're in O'Fallon. Oh, it's by this hospital. Yeah, what hospital? And so then I finally said, I think his name is whatever. She's like, I worked for him and he's excellent. Oh my goodness. Do you know how great that made me feel? Like I was searching for truth. I was searching to find, does anyone know if this doctor is a good doctor before maybe he puts me under and does surgery on me? And God brought truth to me. You don't have to go far to realize that people are searching, desperately, desperately searching. And sadly, our culture today is full of more lies and more deception and and more confusion than any other time that I have known. And people are just hungry for the truth. And sadly, the truth seems to be hard to come by for many. This nation, it needs wisdom and it needs truth. And I want to read you a scripture in Job that tells you where we find wisdom. It's Job 28, verses 20 through 28. It says, Where then does wisdom come from, and where is understanding located? It's hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, we have heard news of it with our ears. But God understands the way to wisdom, and he knows its location. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. And he said this to mankind, the fear of the Lord, this is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. When we share our testimony, we are declaring where to find truth. We're saying there is a God that you can be in awe of, that you can be in fear of, like the Bible teaches, where there's such reverence, such awe. There is a God like that, and he is truth. And he is wisdom. One of the reasons that we do life groups is because we know that if we can get a group of people together that are going after God in a certain area, that eventually, especially women, they'll start start sharing their story. And when people start sharing their story, faith begins to build. Chains begin to be broken. Truth begins to be found. Because people are willing to be vulnerable They're willing to be open, and they're willing to declare what God has done. In just this last session of life groups, there's so many stories of people who found forgiveness, people who realized the power of their words and made changes in that, and so many other um, life-changing impacts were found just by a group of people getting together to seek God and share their story. We don't have to be a preacher or an evangelist to make an impact with God's power working through our life. The woman at the well, how many know the story of the woman at the well? 
Well, there's a few more than last service. I was shocked. It said it was one of the most uh, well-known stories in the Bible. Um, But the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. Jesus came and spoke to her, which is a big no-no in their culture. Um, This woman had had many husbands, and she was currently living with a man that she was not married to. And um, somehow Jesus was able to look at her and see all of that in her. If someone came up to you and was able to tell you that part, kind of your story, you, they would have your attention. You would be a bit um, starstruck. And so anyway, she talked to Jesus. She said, I perceive that you're the Messiah. They had a fantastic conversation. And she went and told her town. And so in John four thirty nine, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Here was a woman who was a fornicator, who was a Samaritan, so in that day, less than. And she went and told nothing more than her testimony. And it said, so much of the town, many in the town came to see Jesus. There was the leper that Jesus healed, and he said, don't go and tell anybody, just go to the priest. And he did exactly not that, and he went and he told everyone And he caused so much attention that Jesus could no longer go into the town. Let's read Mark 1, 45. It said, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A leper. Now a leper, back in that day, they were required to stay out of town. They were not allowed to interact with people. In fact, I recently learned that if you were a leper and you were approaching people, you had to say, unclean, I'm coming, I'm unclean, run away from me. Could you imagine that? Um, And this is how he was spending his life. So I envision this guy that has little to no interaction with people. He's lonely. He's got to be socially awkward. I mean, that's what we would label him today. But because of his story, his testimony of what Jesus did in his life, it said that so many people were coming to Jesus that he couldn't even stay in towns anymore. He had to go out into the desert, and they still came. Then there was the demoniac, um, and he was told, Jesus, tell him to to tell the whole town that you were set free. And so this guy, um, he was living in the tombs, in the cemetery, naked, very strong, because he was breaking chains when they tried to restrain him, I can only imagine, like, if he was coming up to me and I knew that, I would run. But his story impacted the town and caused people to go seek Jesus. This is how Jesus instructed us to steward our story, to share it. When Paul had the opportunity to stand before King Agrippa, it's in Acts 26, you can read it. He shared his background and then his coming to faith in Jesus. Can you imagine, if you have an opportunity to stand in front of a king, what would you say? What would you feel you need to say if you knew that was coming? I'm sure I would get all nervous. Oh my goodness, he's going to ask me questions. I'm going to have to have all the answers. Uh, I don't know. No. Paul just shared his story. This was an opportunity. He could have gave a great sermon to a very influential and powerful person. But instead, he shared what couldn't be refuted, what God did in his life. When I shared my testimony that day, um, it was recorded, and eventually my brother landed with that testimony, um, and he was able to hear it. 
And on that day that he heard it, he saw something about me because I was an angry child, um, especially to my siblings, and for some reason, especially to him. Uh, He was in the first service, so I didn't remind him of this, but um, I at one point hung him over a balcony by his feet. Um, So there was a little bit of maybe some wounds and pains and things there between us. But when my brother heard me share my testimony, God was able to show him something that he didn't see before. He was able to understand, and that brought healing to him and to our relationship. God is so, so loving and so sweet and so kind to us. He said, because you're willing to open up, I'm going to use it to restore a relationship that you probably would not be able to do on your own. Who has God placed in your life that just needs some proof? Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will empower us. He will empower us to share our testimony. He will empower us to share Jesus to the world. He will give us the words. He will remind us of the part of the story that we need to say. He will open the doors of opportunity. All we have to do is be obedient to say yes and open our mouth. The Holy Spirit equips you to be a witness for Jesus. We don't save people. God does. We only point to the truth. What, what they do with that truth, it's up to them. When Jesus healed the blind man, the Pharisees heard about it because he was telling everybody. And people were seeking Jesus because of it, and so they wanted to stop this man because they were so concerned with people going and following after Jesus. It kind of is a little surprising because this man was blind from birth and now he sees, but the only thing they really cared about is don't let this story lead people to Jesus. But after their interrogation and their attempts to get him to not to deny it and to not continue sharing it, this is what the blind man said. John 9, 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't convince everyone because the Pharisees weren't convinced. But lots of people came to hear Jesus. Lots of people found truth because the man refused to stop telling his testimony. I've heard people say that they were afraid to tell people about Jesus because they don't have all the answers. Um, Well, just to let you know, neither do I. I don't have all the answers. But what I do have is that God has done so many powerful things in my life. He has set me free. He has saved me. He has restored me. He has blessed me. He has given me favor. He has drawn me close to him and showed me who he is. I don't have all the answers, but I have enough. I have enough to know that he is truth, and I will share that with anyone that he brings to me. All you need is this is what he did for me. As believers, ones who have been rescued from sin, death, and the grip of the enemy, we should be living in power. Our lives should be set apart noticeably different than the world around us so that it's like a gigantic arrow pointing to Jesus, the name that's above every other name, the truth and hope of the world. We have the ability to wage war on strongholds of the enemy, to ward off attacks, to bring the hope of eternal life in Jesus to the hopeless. And there are so, so many people 
who are so very hopeless. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. All you have to do is give reason for your hope. What is your reason for your hope? If you hope in Jesus today, why? That's all you need. What has God done for you that you can share? What do you need to remember to declare, to build your faith, to overcome, and to help others find truth? Romans 10:14 says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? A lot of times we point to the world and we say they need Jesus. But who's telling them about him? Do they know? It is sad because I guess I had an idea in my head that everybody in America, a land founded on God, knows Jesus. They're either choosing to accept him or reject him. But even in our little town here, do you know how many people have come in and said, I don't really know Jesus? The next gen especially. Honestly, I was shocked. I had no idea. There was one little girl that I said, do you know the story of Palm Sunday and Jesus riding in the donkey? And she said, I don't know any of the stories. What? Like, this is a conservative town with churches everywhere. Like, how do you not know any of the stories? But it's true. But how will she know if someone doesn't tell her? How will the world know if God's kids won't share him with them? I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment. And just once again, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What is he saying to you? Do you share your testimony boldly? Or is there some shame and some fear there? Did you come in here saying, I don't really have a testimony? And you just need God to continue to show you where he's been all throughout your life. Have you not seen the open doors because life is busy? And you just need God to help you not miss them and maybe slow down a little. Dear Father God, we just ask you, we ask you to rise a boldness up in the hearts of your children. Help us to be bold for you. Lord, take away the cares of the world, the things that have gotten in the way with us sharing our story, Lord God that we've cared more about what people think or the shame from our pastor or whatever it is, Lord God. I pray that you would break that off of us, that there would be no shame, no guilt, no fear. Lord God, every lie that has come and hindered one of your kids to keep them from sharing their story, to pointing people to you, Lord God, I pray that it would be broken in Jesus' name. I pray for more opportunities, for more doors to be open, Lord God, for divine appointments. Father, for us to be able to share the world so that we can tell them so that they may believe, Lord God. I thank you that we get to be a part of your story, that you love us so much that you want to work in our life. Lord God, strengthen our faith. Help us to overcome anything that hinders us and help us to point the world to you. 
We love you, Jesus, and we give you glory and honor. We pray that you would be honored in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.